0: Have you ever been disappointed before when someone hyped something up that they said they're going to do for you or some experience that you're going to be able to have with them and then it comes time to actually do it or to go to the thing that they promised you and it just didn't happen or it didn't work out? And then maybe they apologized. They said, sorry, I said I was going to do this or I was going to take you to this thing or make this happen. And they, they, they said, I'll make it up to you, right? Right. And then they go to make a new promise, and you're not quite as excited as you were about the first promise because they kind of blew it on that one. And you're like, okay, I'll give them a second chance, and they pump you up for it, like you're going to go do this thing, and they're going to make it up to you, and then that thing doesn't happen. And then they make another promise to you, and the more and more that happens, the more you start going, yeah, I don't think this is ever going to happen. My dad told me a story when he was down visiting a few weeks ago for Thanksgiving about his dad and growing up, how he would always promise him when my dad was a little boy to go to an Oklahoma Sooners OU football game. And he said, I'm gonna take you to an OU game. And every time the season would roll around, It just wouldn't happen. There would always be excuses, and my dad would always remind his dad of that and say, hey, you said you were going to take me to an OU football game, and he never did. And so my dad told me, you know, he promised me every one of those football seasons when he was living at home that he was going to take him the next year or the next year, and it just never materialized. And my dad just, you know, thought this thing is never going to happen. Well, I told him, I said, but Remember, the cool part of the story, Dad, is that I got to take my dad to an OU football game when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma. I didn't even know this story. I didn't even know this until actually this Thanksgiving. My dad told me these unfulfilled promises that his dad had made, but I actually got to, I think it was 2005, 2004, 2005, somewhere in there, that I took my dad to an Oklahoma Sooners football game. And it wasn't just any Oklahoma Sooners football game, it was the, uh, uh, the, the biggest uh, blowout in conference history we went that year to go watch OU play Texas A&M the score was 77 to 0 they blew them away. It sounds like, a uh, 77 sounds like a college basketball game score, not a football game score, but that was a college football game score. And every time that the Sooner score a touchdown, they bring out this horse with this trailer and they come out and the band plays, you know, Boomer Sooner and they fire off a cannon. We got like, oh, here comes the horse again and the trailer and the cannon. And I bet those guys running that cannon, they had never reloaded that thing ever before that many times. So it was just an epic day. It was an epic experience. And I'm so glad that we got to share that with my dad, because as I think about the contrast between broken promises and things that have been told to you that are going to happen that don't get fulfilled, and then when you do actually experience that fulfillment, what happens when you do experience the fulfillment is that trust is invested in. Trust is built. Trust is continually developed. And the more that someone says they're going to do something and they follow through on it, you begin to learn this is a part of who they are. That when they say they're going to do something, they actually do. It. And the same is true of the opposite when someone says they 're going to do something and they don 't follow through they overpromise and they underdeliver We began to lose trust and we began to kind of uh, not trust that person 's word and it 's so important when we understand the faithfulness of God and I want to do something this morning that, as I thought back in preparation for this message. I have never done in 25 years of preaching. As I look back, I think that I have almost preached every week of my life, except for vacations and here and there, um, 25 years almost every Sunday or, or weekly at some point, I have taught the Bible and I've never taught this passage of Scripture. And I think a lot of people who are regular Bible teachers probably haven't taught this passage of Scripture and you'll see why in a moment. Go to Matthew chapter 1, we're going to go through the genealogy of Jesus. When I thought about it, I thought, I've never preached on the genealogy of Jesus. And as I was reading this, um, by the way, there's a lot of names in this genealogy. I'm going to do my best to pronounce them, and you're just going to agree with me that's how they're pronounced. (laughs) The other thing is that if you're a person who's expecting a child in your family, and you're at that stage to where you're still trying to figure out what the baby's name is going to be, there's some great options in here. You could pick a Bible name from here if you want. So maybe there will be a lot of wins happen today through this uh, sermon and preaching the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, let's read verse 1 through 17, and then we'll kind of circle back around and talk about it a little bit. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon or Salmon, depending on, you know, I've heard it both ways. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the, uh, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Hey, there's a good one There. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of And Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim. And Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon was 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ was 14 generations." I think it's so interesting looking back through all these because as I'm reading these, and maybe if you know a little bit of your Bible history when we were going through some of those names, you're like, oh, hey, yeah, I know that name, or oh, yeah, I remember that one, or never heard of that one before. Because some of these names, we have attached to them stories that we can read throughout the scriptures, and some of them we just don't. We don't really know anything about them at all, but they're mentioned here in the genealogy of Jesus. And some of these names, you see that there's a little bit of a little side story even though it's only a sentence long or maybe just a little phrase mentioned, there's something noted that's important for people to realize about this because Matthew wrote this for us to understand where Jesus came from and how God had fulfilled all of these promises throughout all of these generations. That no matter how goofy people had gotten, no matter what they had done for God or what they had done against God or how they had rebelled against God, God's promise that he made made in the very beginning still came true through all of this weaving and all, this, all these different situations and scenarios and all of these challenges that God's promise still came in the form of bringing the promised Savior, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. And he starts off by writing about Abraham. And I think it's very interesting. Here he's writing about Abraham, and he wants to start at the beginning of the Jewish nation, the the father of many nations. This guy who was an older man, who he and his wife, it was really way past the biological clock for them to be expected to conceive and have a child. And so God had come to Abraham and promised him, that he was not just going to be the father of only one kid, but actually of many nations. And he, Abraham's kind of like, really? You know how old I am? And so Abraham does what you and I do. He reminds God of the limitations that we have, as if God didn't know. We're almost kind of trying to help God out, like, hey, God, that's a nice promise and all, but you know I'm old, right? And God's like, oh, man, whew, I forgot. Yeah, you're right, you are old. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, Abraham what didn't surprise God, God came to Abraham intentionally. And he said, listen, I'm wanting to do something that only I could do to show how great I am so that people can see how great I am in the middle of what seems to be impossible. And so then Abraham, he talks to his wife, Sarah, and Sarah just laughs about it. She's like, yeah, right. (laughs) And she said, you know how old I am? And she laughs at this promise because she doesn't believe in that moment. But later she comes to believe and she comes to have this child. And this covenant, this covenant promise that God makes to Abraham and all of his offsprings births this nation that we call Israel. And this nation is a nation that is promised by God to do all of these things to keep his covenant to to be able to to bless these people they're his chosen people they're the family of God through which the savior the one who's going to redeem all of mankind is going to come through and so we see that there's another break in the story in the lineage when you see the story of David kind of get highlighted David the king you remember the little shepherd boy who killed the giant Goliath with his sling and a stone. You see, God told the prophet named Samuel to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And he said, well, how am I going to know? He said, I'm going to show you who it's going to come from, this lineage of this man named Jesse. And so Samuel, the prophet, went to Jesse's house and said, I'm here to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel now go get your sons and Jesse calls for his sons and and he i guess he stacks them from like oldest to youngest and Samuel starts with the oldest and this guy, he looks like he could be the king. I mean, he's a good looking guy. He, he's got a good, you know, uh, shoulders about him. He looks strong. He looks like he's just someone that people would want to follow just by looking at the outside. And, and he says, this guy, right, God? And God says, nope, that's not him, Samuel. And he's like, God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. And then he says, well, what about the second born? And God says to Samuel, nope, and he goes on down the list, and none of those kids that Jesse had brought forth were the one. And Samuel says to Jesse, hey, I thought you know you brought all your sons here. Is this everybody? And he's like, yeah, I got one more kid, but he's like watching the sheep. I didn't even think it was worth calling him to the party. He didn't even think that David was qualified to be considered. That's how he thought of the rest of his sons in contrast to being anointed as king. And he thought, I got one more kid. I guess we could go talk to him. He probably stinks. He probably smells like sheep, you know. Um, he's, He's always down there, you know, playing music and stuff. And I guess we could go interrupt him and get him to come up here. And here comes David. And he didn't look the part to what man would have chosen. But yet he was the one that God chose. And God told Samuel, this is the one, and and he takes that horn of oil and he pours it on David's head and anoints him as the next king over Israel, the least likely through uh, someone that no one else picks, through a way no one else saw. And then even in David's life, David wasn't like this perfect person that was like a model citizen that you should pattern your life after. David had plenty of mistakes that he made along the way. David, he made a huge, huge, huge egregious error by looking at a woman who was taking a bath and he wanted to sleep with her. And so she was married and he brings her husband in and gives orders to send her husband off to the front lines of war to ensure that he gets killed. So he can cover up the fact that he had slept with this woman and gotten her pregnant. And then he gets called out on that by the prophet. And he Weeps and he lays before the Lord, and the child that she uh, ended up conceiving ended up dying, and, and it was a sad thing. And, and, and David wept over this, and, and, and the Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart because he continued to still pursue God. He still continued to rely on God for his source of forgiveness, for his source of hope, and and, and the love that he had for God. The Bible still calls him a man after God's own heart. I look back and I see other names in this lineage, and I think uh, 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 about how Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. You want to know what Rahab's occupation was? She was a prostitute. This woman is actually named in, in the lineage of Jesus? Are, what? I, I begin to look back and I think about, wow, Boaz and, and, and Ruth. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Wow, how, how God used uh, Boaz to help to save Ruth's family and, and to redeem their family. And, and you see the picture that that, that that paints of Jesus. And we see even in the life of Josiah, who was brought in as the youngest king And he uncovers the scrolls of the commands of the Lord that the nation had long abandoned and forgotten. And he, with a holy passion and a holy fire, begins to have the kingdom go through this reformation where all of these statues and all these false idols are being torn down. And and, and, and you see how God used him to help bring the people's hearts back to God. And then you see further along in the story, the deportation to Babylon, this huge event that happened where the people of God had abandoned worshiping him and had abandoned serving him and you would think that God would just give up on people like that. You think that God would just go well if after all that I've done, after all the faithfulness that I've shown you would think that God would just go oh, you guys are never gonna learn you guys are never going to turn and truly worship me because no matter how much good I do for you, you always rebel and so they go through a 60 year period where they're actually enslaved and captured in, uh, by the Babylonians, and, and they're living under this Babylonian rule. That was during the time of, of like Daniel, where you get those stories in Scripture, and the stories of the three Hebrew, Hebrew children, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, when you hear those stories, that was during that time where nobody would, that was uh, a, a Jewish person is living in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem had been burned down to the ground, and the, the city walls had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed, and All these people are now in bondage and enslaved. And then fast forward 60 years after they were captured and they were set free and they were released. And God miraculously saves them yet again. And people go back and they rebuild the walls and they rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And they honor God and they dedicate their lives to once again serving him. And you see after all of these generations, people flip-flopped back and forth. There were heroes and villains along the way. There were people who did right in the eyes of God and people who did uh, wrong in the eyes of God. But one thing remained consistent. God was faithful. Amen? God was faithful. What was he faithful to? He was faithful to his word. And he had given his word to his people. And that meant that if he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. There were unconditional promises that God made. There are some conditional promises that God made because if you read in the Old Testament and you see the word if, then you need to understand that word if is going to present you with a conditional promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. If. That means you have to do something and God responds this way. So if you see an if there, when God speaks, you know there is a required action on the part of the people, and then God moves. That, that, that's you saying, God, I trust you, and I'm going to do the thing you're asking me to do, and then God's going to respond this way. But then there's unconditional promises. God didn't go to Abraham and say, if you do this, you're going to be a father of many nations. He went to Abraham and said, I've picked you. You're going to be a father of many nations. That's it. It's over, folks. He said it. God spoke it. It's done. And God has spoken things throughout his word to a variety of people... That he has made and declared, this is my will. This is how it's going to go. And so how do we respond? What's our job? What do we do? Because God is faithful to every generation because God is faithful to his word. So let's look at the word of the Lord that came to another person and let's see how they responded when they heard the word of the Lord. Go to Luke chapter 1 and let's visit the story of when the angel came to Mary. Luke chapter 1. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered in the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. I want us to focus in on verse 45 there, church. Let's look at this again. Look at what Elizabeth says to Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who did what? Who believed that what God said he was going to do, he was going to do. You see, it wasn't like the angel spoke this word to this virgin and appeared and all of a sudden she had a baby bump, like boop. <laughs> it's, it wasn't like all of a sudden just came out of nowhere. Oh, let this thing be as you've said. Oh, there it is. Nope. She still looked the same she looked before the visitation. She still probably even felt the same before she felt before the visitation of this angel, and before the Holy Spirit had done this miracle in this young virgin. She probably still felt the same, looked the same, and she believed and she knew that what God had said and what he was going to do, that he actually was going to do it. She responded to him in a way where she said, behold, verse 38, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't it amazing that the angel even brings up this idea of something being impossible and God making it possible? You see the the, the parallels here of what's happening. Even Elizabeth, who was too old to have a child, she began to think, I could imagine... About Abraham and Sarah, this old couple that said, How is this promise going to be fulfilled? We're too old. And and, and the Lord said to Abraham and Sarah and Sarah, with God this is impossible, or with, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And here, as the angel had visited Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, in even in her old age, she was already known as a barren woman. She conceived this child who was known as John the Baptist. This person who would announce and prepare the way for Jesus and who would be the first to acknowledge him as the Christ, as the chosen one sent to redeem all mankind, the one to baptize Jesus. Oh my goodness, could you imagine this amazing thing that's now happening in Elizabeth, that she is expecting a child. And she's just blown away at what God is doing. And she even says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And she greets her, her, her cousin, Mary, and she's so excited to see her. The baby leaps in her womb. And then she says, blessed are you, Mary, you who believe that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from the Lord. So what does Mary do next? What's Mary's response? Let's look at what Mary does in the very next verse, verse 46. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's response is a song of praise. This is before anything has even happened. Mary is acting like it's already been done. She has counted it as done. Why has Mary counted what God has said as already done? It's because she knows the one who has promised, the one who has spoken is faithful. It's not like that son that gets that promise from his dad that it never really happens It's not like you getting hyped up and built up and then it just doesn't get fulfilled. No, it's when you speak, God, when you have declared a thing, when you have said this is how it's going to go, when you have said this is how it's going to happen, I don't know when, where, how, I don't know all the details, but God, I know you said it and my job in that moment is to trust and I should then be stirred to a place of rejoicing because God said. Because God has spoken. Mary rejoices because she counts what God has said as already done. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10. And let's see what the writer of Hebrews said as, as they're talking about this idea of being redeemed by what Christ has done on the cross for us. And how he is our high priest and how powerful And precious his sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at verse 19 through 23. Here the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore brothers. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places. By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way. That he opened for us through the curtain. That is his own flesh. And since we have a great priest. Over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And then he says in the next verse, let us consider how to stir up one another to make sure that we're remembering the hope that we have in Jesus, to remember that, yes, we are serving a God who actually does what he says he's going to do. It's real easy in our day and age to get discouraged when you see things happening around you that you have zero control over. It's really frustrating for us to look around, and and we want things to change. We want things to go a certain way, and, and we feel powerless and helpless to be able to make the changes that we feel like need to be made in our world. And it can become overwhelming, it can become discouraging, it can become frightening, and it can become a thing that will lead us to dark places of depression, or dark places of anger, or places where we just feel like all hope is gone. But I want to encourage you today, and I want to tell you that He who has promised is faithful. That means we have the vantage point of looking in the rearview mirror of what God has said, what God has done, and seeing how He's been faithful from generation to generation. And He who has promised and who has fulfilled all along the way isn't all of a sudden going to stop fulfilling His promise. He who has promised is faithful. So that means all of the stuff that you're facing right now, all the things that you're dealing with right now, God has a plan. And God is going to ultimately be glorified through whatever this world may try to bring. Because guess what? I've read the end of the book. Satan doesn't win. We do because we're on the side of victory if we are in Christ. And because of that, I can rejoice. When? When do I rejoice? When I actually see everything change in front of my eyes, that's easy. Anyone can rejoice. When you see things change before your eyes, anyone can rejoice. When everything's going well, it's easy to high-five every, uh, w- once you've already seen the final score, right? It's, already, it's easy to go, yay, we won, it, it's over. But what about all the darkness that's around me? What about all the challenges I'm facing? What about all of the difficult things that I'm going through right now? That's not a time I feel like high-fiving everyone. I'm sorry, it's COVID time. We're elbowing each other or whatever we're doing. Air high fives. So whatever may be going on, it seems like there's there's all these challenges and things we wish were different. Things we wish were going a different way or headed a different direction. And it may not be working out the way we want it to. What is our response? Church, I want to encourage you today. Our response should be the same that the response of Abraham was. The same response to God that David and the promises that God made to him. The same promises that God made to those who were freed out of exile and Babylonian captivity. And the same types of responses that we see in the life of Mary when she is brought this seemingly impossible thing that she doesn't know how it's all going to work out. We can see that he who promised is Faithful. Because he has redeemed you and me. He has saved us. He has forgiven us. And now we read here in Hebrews, we have, verse 19, confidence to enter into the holy places. Confidence. Where does that confidence come from? It's faith. It's faith. It's believing that now what I don't yet have, I already possess. Because Jesus has already made the way. Yeah, I'm not in heaven today. I mean, did you guys see the snow yesterday? It was like the heavy snow. And where I live, we got a lot of it. And we were out there working and shoveling, and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. (laughs) Because I know that that there are are much uh, bigger, heavier snowfalls, and that was nothing. And I know, I've, I've lived here for almost nine years, I get that. But at the same time, I know my life here isn't perfect. I know there's things that we enjoy. There's things that sometimes do go our way. That's awesome. But the goal is not for you to spend the rest of your life trying to get life to go your way. If you do, you're going to be a very frustrated and very discouraged person because you're trying to control outcomes and control people and control things that you were never meant to control. You're actually called to live in light of eternity for the glory of God. And when I look at my life differently, then I'm able to put myself in a position where I can say yes to greater things. Because I'm called to live in light of eternity. There are a lot of things that this world wants to get me to give my attention and my focus and my energy and my efforts to, to say yes to. But when I understand that I'm living for a world that's not my home, that I'm serving a king and his name is Jesus, that when my life is wrapped up and hidden in Christ, yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm present. But my goal is different. And I began to look at things through a different set of lenses I began to think about things like parenting differently. A lot of times uh, people who don't have that aim and that goal of serving Christ, their goal for their children is just simply that, well, especially the first couple, two, three years that they're alive, that they just live because it seems like everything they do is constantly wanting to endanger themselves, you know. Um, no, don't run with that knife. Come, ahead. where did you get that? Get that out of your mouth. Don't run across the street. No, we don't stick the fork into the outlet. No, come here. You're just trying to keep these people alive because everything they want to do seems to be injuring themselves, you know. And and, and it feels exhausting because they see a street and they something in their brain says, run out into that. And you're just trying to keep these people alive. And it just seems like that's your goal. And if you make it through that season of life and the kid's still alive, you're like, I'm, I'm a decent parent. I'm doing okay. <laughs> right? And then when they get older... We think, oh, I just want them to have good friends, right? That's one of kind of the goal of parents. I hope they have good friends because we all know how important friends are and those influences. And we try to, we try to lead them down a path to be able to have good influences and good friends and help them make good choices. And then when they get older, you know, to, and they start getting into those dating years, we want them to date good godly people who have good godly ethics and morals. And we don't want our kids to get into the wrong things and in with the wrong crowds. And, and we want them to get a good job. So then as they get older, we think, oh, I want them to be on a good career path, and I want them to make money, and I want them to marry a a good person, and and them have a good family, and and, and I want them to do well financially so they don't have to struggle like we had to struggle early on. And and we think all these things, and, and we have all these hopes and these aspirations for our kids, and none of those are bad. None of those are wrong. Those are all good things to hope for. But can I tell you that when you are saying yes to greater things, and when you're living in light of eternity, all of that stuff is secondary compared to this one thing. I want my children to serve Jesus and love Jesus with all their heart. That becomes the number one focus when I'm saying yes to greater things, even though those things are good. There's nothing wrong with all those things, but those, you can't have your kids wanting to pursue those things and chasing after those things and doing it apart from Christ because we want Christ to be the centerpiece in their life. So then I have to ask myself the evaluation question, am I modeling that in front of them? And it changes the way I parent. It changes the way I live. It changes the priority in the home. Because now I'm thinking about things in light of eternity. I'm understanding that eternity matters more. Because if your kid was super wealthy, if they were super physically fit, if they made all the great choices, if they were super popular, if they lived in the most desirable neighborhoods, if they were thought of wealth, they were highly moral, ethical people, but they weren't living for Jesus, would you still feel like you had parented them successfully? They could have all the things that this world would deem success. They could be good, nice people, generous people who gave large sums of money to orphanages and who did nice things, but they didn't know Jesus. Would that be enough for you? Or would you rather them know Jesus above all else? You see, from generation to generation, these promises that were made, God has been faithful to every single generation. And I want to be the type of parent who's parenting my kids in a way that they are growing up knowing Jesus. I can't force my kids to serve Jesus, but I can show them the value of Christ in my life and in my wife and I's life. When I think that way, when I live that way, when that becomes the priority, it changes the way I view everything in life. It changes the things I chase after. It changes the things I encourage in my home and the things that I discourage. When it becomes a home that's focused around Christ, because I know that he's faithful, and I know that what he said he's going to do, he's actually going to do it. And I understand that he is coming back, and I understand there, there is a, an eternity. There is a life after, and I want to make sure that my family and my loved ones, that they know Jesus and that they serve Jesus, and everything they do in this life is laying up treasures in heaven, that they're living for the glory of God. And I have to evaluate my life And that's just one thing with parenting. I mean, you think about your job. Think about your career. When you say yes to greater things, you're not just thinking about the promotion and trying to just get ahead. You're looking at your job as an opportunity to share the gospel. You're looking at your job as an opportunity to share the truth about Jesus with other people and to help disciple people and to walk with people through difficult situations in life where they may not have hope, but you know the answer and you have hope. And God has strategically placed you there as someone who can be a vessel of light, a vessel of salt and hope and change that can share the gospel with other people to bring them into the family of God because that's what they need more than anything else. It changes the way when you say yes to greater things and you live in light of eternity with the way that you look at your finances. When you look at God, how can I honor you best with my financial resources? How can I make sure my family's taken care of and trust you? And how can I do things that are going to be investing and impacting eternity? When I look at the resource of my time, when I look at the skills and the gifts that he's given me, I say, God, how can I take these skills and these gifts and this time that you have graciously given me and use it in a way that's going to honor you and bring you glory? You see, someone who who understands living in light of eternity. They live this way. They prioritize this way and they evaluate and filter everything this way because it comes from a place that knows I'm serving a God who's faithful and I know that he's good. And I know even though I don't understand everything going on in the world right now, I am called to be faithful to Him. Here's our bottom line this week. To make a lasting impact, we must grow in faithfulness to the faithful one. That's our call, is to grow in faithfulness to the faithful one. I want to make a lasting impact. And the only way I know to do that is to live in the light of eternity. To say yes to greater things. So Lord, the resources, the, the, the energy, the time that you've given me, the, the, the influence that you've given me, whatever the case may be, Lord, how do I honor you where I'm at in this season right now? I want to make that lasting impact. Help me be faithful because God's been faithful. He's proven himself. God doesn't have to do anything else. Amen? Amen? <laughs> He doesn't have to do one more thing for you or me. We still ask him. He's not obligated to do one more thing. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He's already proven himself faithful. He doesn't have to do something to convince me. Because as I look back, I can look like, I can see how Mary was able to get to that place. She recalled in her song that she sang in verse 46 through 55. Of Luke where she sings a song and the song that she sings is a song about God's faithfulness she sings about how he esteems the humble she sings about how he brings victory to his people she she sings about even Abraham she she rounds out the song she sings of rejoicing and when does she sing this song when does she choose to sing this song after she's already been promised something that she hasn't yet seen the fulfillment of that's when she sings the song that's when you and I are supposed to sing our song to God to rejoice when he has already declared when he's already said and we just go you know what lord This world is a mess right now, but I'm going to sing to you and I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to honor you right now in the middle of all this mess because I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I know the one who promised is faithful and I know that this isn't the end because I know how the end goes because you've already told me, you've already shown me, you've already promised me, Lord. And I don't know which part of it I'm going to get to see. I don't know which part I'm going to get to play in it. I don't know what my role is because God has different roles and different seasons and different things for each one of us. But here's what I do know. That whatever I do, I want it to be something that's making a lasting impact for the glory of God. So, Lord, whatever that looks like, use me. Lord, whatever that looks like, I will rejoice now in the victory. Whether I experience it in this life or in the life hereafter. Lord, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to honor you and I want to give everything to you because knowing that God is faithful should change the way we live. It should change the way we worship. It should change the things that we say yes to. This is why one of our core values at Word of Grace is we say yes to greater things because we are called to live in light of eternity. And, church, I want to remind you today that he who has promised is faithful. It's not light. That promise to a son that gets broken. No, God doesn't break his promises. If God has said it, you can trust it. If God has said it, you can go ahead and start rejoicing now. It doesn't make sense for me to rejoice. It looks impossible. I know. (laughs) That's the perfect time for you to rejoice because God has said, and that's enough because he who has promised is faithful. He's calling us to invest our faith and our trust in the next generation. He's calling us to faithfulness in the great commission that he's given us to go into all the world and make disciples. He's calling us to remember and call to mind like Mary did his faithfulness so that we can be reminded to trust him no matter what season that we may be in right now. To rejoice, to sing, to be thankful, to honor him, to say yes to him now. Not later, now. To make a lasting impact, we must grow in faithfulness to the faithful one. So I want to encourage you today. I want your faith to be stirred. I want your faith to be stirred for you to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Think about even your own life. Like, even even if you weren't able to read these stories in the scripture, you can still look back on your own life and you can say, man, when I was in this dark time, when I was this, in this situation, I, I don't know how I made it. All, all of the critics around me said I wasn't going to make it. All, the, all, all of the doctors, all of the studies, everybody said I wasn't going to make it. I thought it was over. I thought this was the end. And somehow, somehow, the God of the impossible stepped in and wanted to just show me how good he is. And you may have experienced loss and hurt and pain along the way, but even as you go through those situations, and they may have been things of your own doing, or they may have been things outside of your control, but even as you go through those twists and those turns of life, and and, and you arrive at this place where you see the goodness of God, you, you, you stand back from the vantage point that you're at now, and you go, wow, God was there, and God was there, and God was there when I felt alone. God was there when I made that mistake. God was there when I thought it was over. God was there. And it should stir my faith to trust that he is faithful for whatever season that I may be in right now. And my focus should be to bring him glory and honor with everything that I have. Everything that I have. And I know that in Christmas time, everyone gets super familiar with these Christmas stories. And sometimes you can go, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, I know about Mary. Oh, yeah, I know about you know, Joseph and the baby in the manger and all these things can become just so familiar to us that sometimes we we don't stop and go, wait a minute, this should remind me that God is faithful. This should make me just exhale a little bit right now because maybe your heart's been racing because you've been trying to fix everything. You've been trying to fix everybody. And it's time for you to let go of that anger. It's time for you to let go of that bitterness. It's time for you to let go of that hurt from that depression. It's time for you to let go of what so-and-so said or didn't say what they did or what they didn't do. All of those broken promises, all of the things that people hyped you up for that you thought they were going to deliver on. And, 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 and they let you down. They let you down over and over again. Can I tell you there's one who's faithful that will never let you down? Can I tell you one, that that there's one that's good, that you can start rejoicing right now, that you can find joy and peace right now? Because he's faithful. He's not like all those others who have disappointed you because you and I have been disappointed. We've been hurt. And guess what? We've been the one who's disappointed other people before too. That's why we're not following man. We're following God. Amen? Because he is that perfect, faithful father. So I just want that to wash over you today. I want that to just rest on you today. I want, that to just, I want you to just soak and marinate in that thought today. And allow that to penetrate your heart. Allow that to become real to you. Because I know that others have, have given you a bad view of maybe what a father should be. Or maybe what someone who makes a, a promise should be but I can tell you with full confidence there is one who is always faithful and all he's asking you and I to do is to trust him and to grow in faithfulness to serving him and loving him by saying yes to greater things by saying yes to serving him by saying yes to rejoicing right now. And so Lord, we rejoice right now. Whatever we may be facing, we rejoice right now whatever uncertainty is in front of us, we rejoice right now. Whatever challenge, whatever thing the enemy is trying to use to trip us up, we rejoice right now because he who has promised is faithful. And God, we know that you're never going to leave us or forsake us. We know that you are faithful to your word and we know that you work all things lord together for the good of those who love you who are called according to your purpose right now lord help us to not allow our current circumstance define whether or not we think you're good but let your goodness lord be determined solely on the fact that you have declared you are good and we trust that how you say is good that's good And We're going to rest in that. We're going to rejoice in that. We're going to rejoice in the goodness of our God. We're going to rejoice in knowing the character of our God. We're going to rejoice in knowing the word of our God, that you are faithful and we lift you up today and we honor you and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being so faithful because we've blown it. We have been unfaithful every one of us without exception have been unfaithful but somehow you and your grace and your mercy that's new every morning you are faithful even to the unfaithful child because that's who you are when we're unlovely you're still loving when we're liars you're still truthful when we have wrong intentions you still are pure And we want to just say, you are good. And we rejoice in your holiness and your goodness. And we rejoice, Lord, that we belong to you. So Lord, even if someone today may be hearing this message, whether they're here in this room or whether they may be watching online, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that today would be the day of their salvation, that today would be the day, Lord, that you open their eyes, that Spirit today, you draw them to that place. No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit first draws him. So Holy Spirit, we pray that as you're drawing people to see their need for Jesus, that they would respond today in faith and rejoice right now by saying Jesus is Lord, by saying Jesus is King, and by saying I need you, Jesus, forgive me. I wanna be welcomed into the family of God. I trust you are the only way, you are the truth, you are the life. Lord, help those who may be at that valley of decision, making that decision today to, to see and recognize what your spirit has drawn them to. May their eyes be open. may their hearts be forever changed. May your Holy Spirit go and wash over them. May they be cleansed by the blood of Jesus as those of us who are sons and daughters of God have been cleansed and made righteous in the eyes of God. We rejoice now over that. We thank you, God, now for that. Help us to live in a way that's going to honor you, please you, glorify you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.